Hi, I'm Ryan Barnes. And I'm Anakin Barnes. This is the Barnes Boys Podcast. We're both big movie fans. And we're both actors. We watch movies through different lenses. You see, my dad grew up in the 80s in a very conservative environment in California. Well, my son here goes to a high school in a fine arts high school in liberal British Columbia. Each week, we're going to watch a different movie. And discuss it through the different perspectives that we bring to the table. Since I've been born, CGI and quick cuts were the normal thing. While all we had were practical effects and the converted theater actors. So sit back, relax, grab some popcorn, and enjoy the show. So today's movie that we're going to be looking at is Big Trouble in Little China. This was released in 1986. This is starring Dennis Dunn, Kurt Russell, Kim Control, and... It's it's quite a good movie. It was directed by John Carpenter. Um, the basic synopsis of this is a rough and tumble trucker helps to rescue his friend's fiance from an ancient sorcerer in supernatural in a supernatural battle beneath Chinatown. Now that's uh, that description is from IMDb, and if you were to just read that, would you at all picture the movie that we just watched? No, I would <laughs> I would honestly just picture some some like student film that happened to have Kurt Russell in it. <laughs> That's funny. All right. Well, let's uh before we go into it, let's hit a couple trivia pieces about the movie. Mm-hmm. Um so these were taken from Wikipedia and IMDb. Um uh, First of all, the the three storms in the movie, and if you've seen the movie, you know who I'm talking about, but the three storms in the movie were the inspiration for the character Raiden in the game Mortal Kombat. Um, Another thing is John Carpenter, the director, wanted Jackie Chan for the hero role, Um, but Jackie's English wasn't good enough, so he went went with Dennis Dunn as the lead. Really? Um, So... um, one of the things about Jackie Chan, I know you've you've seen you've seen a lot of his movies growing up, or a yeah. few of his movies growing mm-hmm. up, but uh, but it's funny because he um, it's funny because we're just going off on Jackie Chan who has nothing to do with this movie, right? But um, but Jackie Chan didn't know the English like a lot of the lines mm-hmm. he was saying. If you watch the outtakes and and watch interviews with him later, um, he's saying that he would say a line and everybody would laugh and he had no idea what they what they were laughing at because he learned the syllables but he didn't know what the words were oh so uh, so his speech coach taught him how to say the things but he didn't teach him what he was what he was saying that's very interesting yeah yeah, yeah. it's very interesting um so another thing is and th- this isn't something that you would be aware with but Production for this movie was actually rushed because there was another movie called The Golden Child starring Edding Burphy that had similar themes with Chinese mysticism that was being released, scheduled to be released at the same time. And so they rushed to get this one out so that way it wouldn't it wouldn't look like they're trying to uh, put out two of the same movie or compete with another studio. Mm. Um, this, this one was originally written as a Western. The original screenplay was Western a Western, but John Carpenter, the director, wanted it changed to modern-day San Francisco. So, it's cool to see it in Mm modern-day San Francisco or 1986's modern-day San Francisco, and it that's a very interesting take, which kind of made the movie a bit weirder. 
<laughs> um, sure. If you if you take the uh, like the the views of everything, uh, like views of people and how they felt um, with all this Chinese magic and everything in the eighties, okay. um, from my knowledge, it would make more sense to see it as a Western. It would be more, I would feel more natural. And so that's, um, why I like it having be the modern day San Francisco because it's so odd. Right. Sure. And, and I think, um, and maybe, maybe the director thought this as well, but I think, um, the the comedy in it wouldn't have worked as well because if you think of uh, think of Chinese in the in the old West um, they they didn't have their 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 own I guess um, equal dominant culture uh, I, I'm not sure how, how to phrase this but but um, but during that times, eighteen hundreds in in the West, the Chinese came out as as mostly workers and not mm-hmm. not restaurant owners or business owners and and uh, landowners like like what we have in this movie too. And so, the thematically, it would have been very different yes. as well. Um, so a, f- a funny thing too is is one of the major plot points is they're looking for a girl with green eyes and and that. The uh, the two actresses that needed to have green eyes both had brown eyes, so <laughs> <laughs> so they had to they had to both wear contacts for that. Um, and then the last piece of trivia, which uh, which I think that you would enjoy because we've been watching a lot of Scrubs mm-hmm. lately. But uh, Zach Braff um, came at or went as Jack Burton, who is the who is Kurt Russell's character. Right. Ja- Zach Braff went as Jack Burton to Kate Hudson's Halloween party in 2014 and ran into Kurt Russell there and it got a picture with him. Now, the reason that happened is because Kate Hudson is uh, she's an actress and and she's kind of a big deal, but she's also Kurt Russell's daughter. Oh, okay. Um so that's that's why that just happened to Yeah, that's funny. Um I think I remember hearing about that um Zach hmm. Braff talking about that on his podcast, but Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's it as far as the trivia goes. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back with our viewpoints here. All right. So, uh, Anakin, you and I both have uh, our pages, our page of notes here to, to go over as we were writing things down while we were watching the movie, uh, looking at it from our different perspectives specifically. So, um, do you want to start? Sure. I'll start. Um, so, first five minutes of the movie, you have this Chinese man speaking to, I believe, either a lawyer or an officer. A lawyer, actually. I have that in my notes, too, but go yeah. ahead. Um, and the lawyer's trying to get information from this Chinese man, uh, trying to find out what exactly happened. And then it, um, he was saying, we owe our lives to Jack Burton or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're in great debt of him. And then um, the lawyer asks, do you, um, how do you know this is all real? Like, do you actually believe this stuff? And then he does this really weird <laughs> magic out of nowhere. And I got so confused, like weird Chinese magic to set the mood. And it, it's honestly, I, I think, I thought it was kind of funny, but yeah. 
Okay. So about that, two things. One, I wrote, I, what I wrote down about that is the attorney is, is played off as scary, a scary guy, even though he's, uh, Egg Shen is the character, is the, is the man, um, the Chinese man that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So even though he's Egg Shen's attorney, um, in the 80s, um, the the general theme for for people or the, or the general tone was be afraid of corp, corporate America. Somebody's got a big suit, got a suit on. He's big and powerful, and so and so they're playing into that stereotype right there. Even though he's Action's attorney, the whole thing is he's getting on to him, and and he should be be afraid of be afraid of him. Yeah. Now about the about the other thing about this scene too, a piece of trivia that I didn't. Uh, bring up was this this scene was added after the movie was done it wasn't a, part of the original script the original script um just had the next scene with uh with jack burton kurt russell's character mm-hmm. in the truck um but they added this one to make make jack more into a hero they wanted to yeah. say okay let's let's talk more about this guy and and kind of build him build him up a little bit more mm-hmm. and so it gives him that introduction instead of a cold open with with this character that right. that you haven't seen before yeah but uh but yeah then he just goes in he so then he goes into the magic as you said and and again this scene being written after the movie was completed um that just that introduced the idea that magic is real. Mm-hmm. I think that's how, that's how I saw it. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so the next thing I kind of want to like bring up is the truck driver, a, a truck driver as a main character to save Chinatown in San Francisco. I thought that was like a little bizarre because okay. usually you have like, like different like corporate people or, underdog stories like in dodgeball um uh-huh. and just fighting uh low fighting the uh the low fighting the high high fighting sure the bad good versus evil all that but a truck driver a uh like the typical stigma behind truck di- dr- drivers is they're kind of sleazy and everything and okay. so the truck driver being a hero is kind of Kind of interesting. So it's funny you said that because I actually wrote <laughs> wrote notes about that as well. So, um, in the in the eighties, a truck driver's life was was romanticized. Um, the idea of of being able to travel all over the country, uh, you're free. You don't have anything holding you down. There's nothing keeping me back. I can just go across the country and that's my life. And, mm-hmm. and the idea is it was often built up in movies as, as, uh, something exciting. So we have, there are movies in the eighties, like smoking the bandit convoy over the top, the hitcher. And these are all big movies about, about truck drivers and truck drivers life. And so, and so, you have to remember, we didn't have the internet. We right. didn't have a lot of the technology that that there is now, and so um, our entertainment was was seven channels of TV. And right. so the idea of being able to see all of these these cool things that you only hear about or only see in movies or, or in the papers, and being able to see them for yourself as as part of your life and experience all of these different cultures of of America, I guess that was very exciting. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, it makes it makes sense. Um, kind of what you're saying is your view of t- truck drivers as a kid is very different than what I grew up 
truck drivers yeah. being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the one thing that I I saw in this movie that just told my uh, that really told me this movie is so unrealistic. Rain in California. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really funny that that like for everything that you're saying i see what you're saying but it's times times are, are different when i was a kid i know this is crazy and it's hard to believe when i was a kid it rained there's we no had, way it rained in california so we had like a 12 year drought um it was it was really that long and that was during the time that you that you lived there that you mm-hmm. grew up there so you're not used to seeing rain it rained when i was a kid and in san francisco the bay uh, the the bay area gets uh, tends to get a lot more rain mm-hmm. um but yeah it it rained on a regular basis <laughs> it's so funny that that's what that, that's what stuck out to you yeah um i have a couple notes i'm going to catch up to where you are so i have okay. a couple other notes here um one of the things you were talking about Egg Shen's um, magic at the mm-hmm. beginning of the movie, and it was it was lightning. It was this blue blue lightning, and so with special effects, um, again we didn't have CGI, but uh, lightning was the easiest special effect to put on because um, you could just use lightning on a on a cell and overlay it with uh, with the film, right. And then shoot uh, shoot another frame on top of that for for each of those frames, and because of that, that you'll notice that same color and that same look was was used for Return of the Jedi, Back to the Future, anything, mm-hmm. um, almost any time a type of magic or science during that era had that same special effect, the yeah. exact same looking lightning, yeah, and that, like the like the neon blue lightning, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you, you we see that throughout this movie in different different space in different places, and it's always the same looking lightning mm-hmm. again that you see across all of these other movies. Um, and then um, I wanted to we were talking about the the truck driver Jack the the truck driver. Um, so watching this movie, and this is a little bit this is something that changes a little bit over over time. Watching this movie, I to me I saw him. As a kid, I saw Kurt Russell's character, Jack Burton, as the hero of the movie. Mm-hmm. And he's not. He's the blundering sidekick. Yeah. Um, Wang, the the Chinese guy, Wang is uh, is actually the hero of, of the movie. And I would I didn't see that as a kid because because I was still I uh, I don't know the right phrasing, but basically I had racial blinders on. Right. And, and it's, it's the, the, the person, the man who I identified with closely. And, mm-hmm. and during that time, especially where, where I grew up, I wasn't around a lot of Chinese people. And so um, for me, it wasn't so much as, as I, I can see this person, I could see Wang as, as somebody that I might become because, mm-hmm. because the cultures were so, so different. But um, but Jack Burton, yes, I can identify with that, and so for me, that was the hero. But but he wasn't right. Um, that's that's kind of uh, what I was wanting to talk about. Okay, too is um, the um, the idea of the white man in Chinatown, the only white man in Chinatown being the hero. That's something sure. I saw too, and as you probably just being a regular old kid in the 80s seeing that as well 
everybody's going to see that. Right. And so it's, it, for, for people like me and my generation, it's a little unsettling to see that knowing what we think we know. Okay. Um, with racial things, um, that are going on in today. And so, um, it, it, to me, it shows that Jack Burton is the uh, these Chinese. Uh, Jack Burton is the hero. These Chinese people were helpless, and they needed somebody to come save them. And it was it was the, the white great white man. hope. Yeah, right. Um, so that that was something that really stood out to me. Um, but but as you but as I was thinking about it, and as mm-hmm. you um, said it, the um, I keep forgetting his name. The Wang. Wang, yeah. yeah. Wang was the um Wang was the true hero. Right. But it took you so so ever many years to oh, yeah. finally realize 30 that. Thirty years, yeah. It took you thirty years to realize that and so it's that that's a little thing that's kind of discomforting to me. Well, I understand that. I well, I understand that that for you it it could be that um, that this doesn't seem natural. This seems off, mm-hmm. but it shouldn't be discomforting because it also shows that shows that as a society we're progressing, right? I mean, um, we we had in uh, in the U.S. anyway, we had slaves a little over two hundred years ago, mm-hmm. and just just it's we didn't start start out perfect and we're not perfect now but but as years go by every every era we're making progress and making yeah. more progress and making those, more progress those dude. baby steps yeah yeah um but yeah um so another thing that kind of stood out to me with my weirdly functioning brain okay jack's walking through china chinatown and he's looking around, seeing people. He's trying to get somebody's attention. He's, like, looking for something. Okay. Um, he looks up at someone, and he's like, hi, this woman's chopping her raw meat. She looks at him, slams the knife down, and just leaves. My question is, why would she leave her meat? Why not pick up the meat tray and take <laughs> the meat with her? Because the way, the way that scene was painted, mm-hmm. it made it look like she wasn't going to come back to that. Right. And... Why would you leave your meat? That looks like an expensive piece of meat. Well, it was a duck. She cut the head off the duck and then she walked away. But yeah, yeah. So it was, um, and and this isn't. I don't think this is a generational divide, but it's uh, it's more of a a xenophobia. It's you're in in that area in in Chinatown. It's predominantly Chinese people and right. you, you see a stranger come in and a stranger says hi to you. Well, okay, nothing I do is more important than getting away from that stranger. And that's, that's not any different now than it was no. then. And it's not any different in any other culture, any other neighborhood even. Yeah. Um, it's just, if you have a, if you have a tight community and there's somebody, there's an outsider who's strange and odd, mm-hmm. you're just gonna, okay, I'm going to walk away. And right. So and I think that's the point the director was making with that is is just backing away from situation. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, trying again, ca- trying to catch up with you here. Um, did the music stand out to you at all? Because I have notes in here about the music. I don't specifically remember any standoffish music. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't mean so much standoffish, or but, like. But, 
it, it, it didn't was really all, stand out. To it me. was all synthesized and electric drums, and that's what action movie action movies were like in the eighties. That's the horrible scores that that we had to deal with, but it also brought out this this feeling of, of adventure. Right. I I didn't quite realize that because I you had raised me to watch movies from your childhood, like sure. The Goonies or um say Indiana Jones or right. whatever. Right, right. And so I my brain is like used to that kind of music when it Okay. I see older movie from the eighties. Um I know the eighties doesn't seem like too far ago, but it kind of was. It was. Um, and so I see movie from the 80s, and I'm like, okay, this is the kind of music that's expected. I'm okay with that. Okay. And I'm, I'm used to it. Sure. Yeah. I it's It just stuck out to me, not so much as not being okay with it, just cringy. It's like, oh, my gosh, this mm-hmm. is what we this is what we considered a soundtrack. It did, it did set the tone for it to be a cheesy movie, which it was a very cheesy movie. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so with the... One of the cheesy things was was his uh, his catchphrase, Jack Burton's catchphrase, mm-hmm. all in the reflexes. We see that at the beginning beginning of the movie when Wang tries to cut a bottle in half and it goes flying, and Jack just gr- immediately grabs it, says it's all in the reflexes. So that actually became a catchphrase for boys in the, in elementary school at the time. We were all saying that to each other anytime we did anything, caught a ball or mm-hmm. or just even use it inappropriately, like like made a basket. It's all in the reflexes and just right. stupid things. Yeah, like that. That I, there are there are stuff like that, uh, like those catchphrase, uh, catchphrases um, that definitely happen in um, in my generation too. It I can't think of anything specific right now because mm-hmm. that's what's going on. But um, I just that is it, it's a thing that happens even in my generation. We'll see something from not really movies anymore it's more of like tiktoks or vines or something we see in the on the internet and we're all like general fans of that and sure we find it and we say we like repeat it because it's funny right okay i thought i was really i didn't think i was being funny when i said it was all in the reflexes i thought i was as cool as jack burton right so um go ahead um, so the next thing I, I kind of want to like expand on a bit is the, um, we, this is very, this is past, like, this is forward in a bunch of scenes. Okay. Um, and so I'll touch on this and you can maybe catch up. A sure. Bit. Um, the, the Chinese gang standoff. This is the one during the funeral? Yes, during the funeral. Okay, um, we see it. Uh, we see it happen, and it's. Um, we see all these. Uh, it's a Chinese gang standoff at at a funeral. We saw these uh, Chinese people, and the and there's just one white dude. I thought that was kind of funny, <laughs> but also, um, it it's a it's a huge martial arts fight, um, and that. That stood out to me because it, um, it kind of, it, it's a huge martial arts fight instead of you know just a regular gang fight with mm-hmm. whatever. 
um, that kind of stood out to me because it um, uh, movies and studios do this all the time even now um, but it still stood out to me because it paints a stereotype that all Chinese people are uh, it generalizes Chinese people as just knowing how to do martial arts sure and so that that's something that kind of stood out to me um, didn't make me too uncomfortable because I've seen that all my life but it um, in what I've been learning about in school and just seeing with my own eyes what's kind of been happening I've become more aware of those types of things so that yeah that that definitely is a a generalization or a stereotype I guess Mm -hmm. and but if you're going to have a stereotype about you that's one of the cooler ones to have right um I remember I did have um I did have some Asian friends that I grew up with and and they all claimed to be karate experts and I don't think they were mm-hmm. but but I how is I to know because I've seen these movies where a, where every Asian person is this karate master so why wouldn't why wouldn't the the fifth grade boy in right. my in my class be this master ninja that he says that he is mm-hmm. so um so I, I I agree it is a stereotype, but I don't know if anyone anyone is complaining about it right. from the other side. Um, but um, but I, I did have that in my notes also. You, you and I are, are catching a lot of the same things here. Yeah. Um, the '80s had a huge huge martial arts craze. Mm-hmm. Now you you know you know movies like um, like Karate Kid, for mm-hmm. instance, but but. There were just there were martial arts movies like crazy and and dojos whether whether they were ran by by Asian people white people black people whatever dojos were always always full and it was really hard to to get into one I remember uh, my grandfather t- t- took me to karate lessons at uh, at some place by by his house I don't re- I don't remember where it was but um but. Yeah, I I took karate as a kid, as a kid too, just because it was the coolest right. coolest thing, and that's what everybody was doing at that age. And of course, mm-hmm. everyone wanted to be like Chuck Norris because right. it's Chuck Norris. Yeah, but um, but yeah, that so that stereotype is is pretty rampant, and and you would see normally in a in a gang fight of of any any nationality or any race uh, a lot more firearms and, right. and what they had and they they did bring those out they at, did. at the end it, it just started started like that which i don't know if i were making a movie even even in my in my more informed culturally aware state i would probably still do it the same way um mm-hmm. because it looks better on camera um and and i i one of the things that that I disagree with that f- from my generation that your generation doesn't see is is a lot of a lot of your generation is over overly sensitive for other people mm-hmm. like all of these Asian actors uh, there were Chinese and there were some Vietnamese uh, actors all of these actors voluntarily did these scenes. Right. They they did not feel like they were being discriminated discriminated against. They any one of them could have walked away and not not shot that. But uh but us or or maybe your generation mm. of of um privileged white folk get defend get defensive right. or get offended uh by them uh or by how they should have felt. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying that I'm getting offended for them. I'm. All I'm saying is that it stand. It stood out to me. Okay. I'm. I very much agree that we. A big problem that I've seen is that white people are telling other races what's wrong. <laughs> right. And that I. Um, I don't really think that that's what needs to be happening. I personally think that we should be listening to the um, what they say that they're needing and taking a big look at it instead of saying, you realize what he just said was wrong, so I'm going to feel bad for you. You you can't handle that emotion for, for yourself, so I'm going to do it for you. Right. And that's that's just... I personally think is a huge problem. It is a huge problem, and it, it's rampant. It happens. Right. It happens a lot, and not to not to knock your your age or anything, because mm. I was sixteen once myself. Right. But the generation you're in um, tends to do that very heavily to to yeah. others. Yeah. So. Um. So I, I will back up a, a, a bit. So we're. Um, did you notice the kidnapping at the airport, the lack of airport security, how they were able to just grab the those, uh, grab that girl and there was no issue at all? I did see that, but I understand why there was such a lack of security be, um, than what I'm used to. What, what do you understand? Um, I understand that things have, uh, in airports, have changed drastically when it comes to security. Yes. Because of the multiple terrorist attacks that happened before. Most of them happened before I was born, um, I believe, leading um, through the 90s, through the early 2000s. Um, not really... I don't think it started with the events of 9-11, but that's where it really where airport security really started getting heavy. It 100% started with 9-11. Up until then, if if you were flying on a plane and uh, and I was just coming to the airport to pick you up, mm-hmm. I could walk out to the plane when you got in and walk you in. Um, and crazy. I could help you carry your carry-on luggage, and there's no problem whatsoever. That all changed immediately. In right. Nine, in the, was, this was San Francisco International. It, it was a bit bigger. But but in a smaller airport, like Fresno Airport, you have one, maybe two security guards for the right. whole thing, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, and then uh, that was just then 9-11 happened, and then uh, airport security got, like, really intense. Mm-hmm. And then it got even more intense with the um, with the shoe bombing crisis or the the attack. Sure. And now we have to start taking off our shoes when we go through the airport. Right. And then there's a bunch of other things, and now you have to go into like an isolation chamber just to go into the terminal. Right. Um, but it, I'm I'm well aware of. The difference in airport security. Okay. Um, one of the things, um, one of the things that I noticed that's different in this movie than than some of the movies that I enjoy more, and and it's like this all the time. But but there is exposition like like crazy throughout right. the movie because what we're dealing with is Chinese myst- mysticism and some um, some 
I guess, uh, fantasies or folklore. Right. And, and the general, the target audience for this was not, was not, uh, Chinese people. It was, it was for American people. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or I would say white Americans was, was really the target market for this. And so they had to ex- explain so much of what was going on. So every character comes in with, with these two pages of exposition. Right. And, well, this happens because of this and this, and don't you know that ancient and whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was funny. And then the other part that I thought was really, really funny about that is they're, they're, they're delving into this Chinese folklore, mysticism, and these, this ancient Chinese temple that's buried in, um, in Chinatown in San Francisco but also has neon lights all, yeah. <laughs> all the way around it. So, and an escalator that goes up yeah. and down. So it was, it was really funny. Um, looking at that again through, through these eyes. Um, something that, that happened in the movie was, uh, towards the end, that knife throw. Do you remember that when he throws, he throws a knife, it was the, the big climactic scene. Uh, Jack throws a knife at, um, at, Oh, what's his name? the, the tall guy, Wang. No, not Wang's the hero. Um, uh, Lopan. Right. Uh, Jack throws a knife at Lopan, misses. Lopan picks it up, throws it back. Then Jack catches it and throws it right back and kills Lopan. Sorry, mm-hmm. spoiler alert. Right. Um, and uh, and then he said, "It's all in the reflexes." Again, that catchphrase. Mm-hmm. And I tell you. Every boy my age was practicing that. I practiced that with Trent, uh, throwing it with pencils, with screwdrivers, sometimes with knives, throwing at each <laughs> other, trying to catch it and throw it back. And I, I'm sure more people than us have gotten hurt doing yeah. that. <laughs> but it was a, it was that that little cool cool move there. Exactly. Now I I want to ask your your opinion. We were talking about earlier earlier about the effects. Now again, what we had almost entirely was just practical effects. Mm-hmm. And so what practical effects brings us is this flying balloon head monster thing. Yes. What um, did you what did you think about that? So I was throughout the movie um I coming into the movie I'd seen it before and I'd remember talking about it like when I was very little not knowing too much about special effects but knowing that this this movie was revolutionary for special effects in movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very confused on how they did some of that. <laughs> um, and with the floating balloon monster thing, it looked to me like it was very er- early CGI, but I knew that it wasn't because... Um, computer uh, computer graphic um, animation that's not CGI that's CGA mm-hmm. but um, that type of thing wasn't big until Pixar came around and it didn't exist it exactly yeah. it, it wasn't it wasn't anything until Pixar came around mm-hmm. um, in the late 90s I think I wasn't alive so I don't right. remember um, but it came I think it came around that time and then people started getting curious of can we do that in uh, in real life like live action movies and Disney kind of did that with Mary Poppins with the cartoons Mm -hmm. and all of that but with this particular movie it was very 
computer graphic animated. I think it's um, it was either that and it's just a mystery, or it could have just been really good prosthetics and makeup on a floating balloon. Right. Um, and I think that's it. That also kicked off um, the special effects in Ghostbusters. Um, okay. With the uh, with slime ball, or whatever his name is, uh, Slimer, Slimer, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I saw a very, I saw a huge similarity in the kind of animation that it was. Okay. Um. So, side bit. Uh, this firehouse used in in uh, Big Trouble Little China is the same firehouse that was used in Ghostbusters. Okay. Filming Ghostbusters. Nice. But. Um, but so Slimer, Slimer was animation, and it was that style of uh, of animation that that you're talking about, like uh, Mary Poppins, where they, they overlaid the frames on top of each other, filmed mm-hmm. them separately. But but this guy was practical. He was he was a Muppet. He was a he was a flying wow. uh, flying puppet. Kind of well, think of think of Return of the Jedi and and Jabba the Hutt, where you know he's not he's not real, but he's just this big slimy thing, and it's yeah. the same. It's the same kind of thing. Now, for him, they did use the life-size puppets. So, actually, that's probably a bad bad example. Um, but La- uh, Labyrinth, if you look back mm-hmm. to, to Labyrinth, again, you've got, you have the same thing. And all you have to do is bring it in on a, on a wire and then edit the wire out yeah. in post. Or, or like the, um, forget what the dragon's name from. Uh, Falcor. Falcor from yes. um, uh, The NeverEnding Story. Similar to that, giant yes. puppet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, this movie is very, very interesting on the special effects. I was a little confused on how they did some of the stuff without the modern day technology. That we and have. that's, that's where the, that's where the real magic comes mm-hmm. in. And, and as we're, we're going into this podcast and we're going to be looking back at these older, older films, you're going to be able to see things like that, whether it's an action film and you see, see somebody, well, how do they, well, th- those are, those are a little more easy to spot like right. how they rip somebody's heart out in Indiana Jones for instance uh, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but things like this the monsters creatures and and um, just looking looking in at that and how they had to do that frame by frame some, some of it some of it they had to incorporate stop motion into yeah. it as well so um, so yeah that's uh, that's that's our first, uh, our first, I, I don't know what do you call it, viewpoints section yeah. from our our first podcast. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, thank you very much, guys, for uh, for listening to the Barnes Boys and being part of this with us. If you have any thoughts or memories about this movie, or have a movie suggestion um, that you want us to watch and talk about it on the podcast, you could tweet us at the Barnes Boys. Uh, C-A, that's B-A-R-N-E-S-B-O-Y-S-C-A. Now tune in next week as we bring you Revenge of the Nerds. Our theme music is written by Ryan M. Barnes. You could find him at his website, www.silvertooth.org. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.